Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood, and it's back again with story time. I'm a little late recording this week, because, well, shoot, you know, I turned 43 over the weekend, and I said, hey, you know, I'm just going to chill. I figured I would get this done on uh, during the day Monday, but here it is Tuesday, and I'm just now Tuesday at nine o'clock night, and I'm just now recording. Normally, I record in the daytime because I don't have to worry about lighting for the uh, video side of the channel. <laughs> but tonight, I've got a bunch of different things jury rigged. Hopefully, it looks okay. Seems like it does in the monitor here. So hey, life is good. Um, so let's just get right back into it. Uh, not a whole lot to report except that I'm old, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, and the story goes on. Continuing with Glimmer Vale. Uh, last we left off, the signal had gone up down to the southeast near the east flow of the smoke signal that showed that uh, the sentries said the bad guys are coming. And, well, time to toss the dice, as Salam so aptly put. Let's see what happens next. Catch you on the flip side. Chapter 25 Fire and Blood it was worse than he hoped for, but about what he expected. Julian counted 30 riders approaching. That meant that Eisenhoff had almost his entire force with him on this excursion, assuming he was not so stupid as to leave his base completely unmanned. And he was not. Eisenhoff was taking this seriously, at least. His expression as he slowed his horse to a walk and approached the barricade was not the same mocking, amused smirk that he had worn before. Now his face was a mask of focus and malevolent intent. Eisenhoff reined in, halting his horse about twenty feet from the barricade. He took a moment to look it over and made no effort to hide his disapproval. Behind him, his men arrayed themselves in a loose pack. All were armored as before. About half carried spears in addition to the swords on their hips. The rest carried bows. Except for one man at Eisenhoff's right. He wore armor, but carried no weapon that Julian could see. Instead, a number of bulging pouches hung from every place possible, and he carried a thick leather tome balanced in front of him on his saddle. Unless Julian missed his guess, that would be the mage. Eisenhoff completed his survey and turned his gaze on Raedric and Julian. He nodded in greeting, a politeness that did not carry over to his expression or his tone. Balatir, Inderbrook, you are becoming a true nuisance, do you know that? That's why we're here! Julian replied, affecting a good-humored tone. Eisenhoff's eyes narrowed a bit, but he did not acknowledge Julian's words. Instead, addressing Raedric, he said, I have been more than patient. I gave you a chance, yet you continue to provoke me. Why? Raedric shrugged and replied, That's why we're here. He leaned forward and rested his forearms against the top of the barricade. This town is closed to you, Theobald. You'll not get the money you want, so why don't you just go somewhere else? Somewhere with duller teeth. 
Eisenhoff snarled, showing his teeth. Sharp teeth. Is that what you think you have with five men to defend your little wall? Shaking his head, he went on. No, I like it here. For the same reason you do. No authorities to come and check on things. A man can live on his own terms in a place like this. I think I'll stay. It appears we're at an impasse. Not at all. You can ride away right now, and I'll not chase you down. Eisenhoff paused for a moment, then added, Last chance. Funny, I was just about to say the same thing to you. Eisenhoff shook his head with a smirk, then turned away and rode back to his men. Any second now, Julian said. They would just take a minute to get organized, and then they would come. The barricade would not hold against their rush, and they knew it. He and Radrick traded glances. His friend grinned and clasped hands with him. Ready? Julian nodded. Let's do it. Eisenhoff turned his horse around. His men gathered their reins. Those with bows knocked arrows. He opened his mouth to order the charge, but Radrick beat him to it, simply thrusting a fist in the air and shouting, Loose! Eight bowstrings snapped in unison, the six hidden on the platforms and the two behind the barricade. Six of Eisenhoff's men screamed and clutched at arrows that were suddenly lodged in their bodies. Four fell to the ground, but the others stayed on their horses. Julian was actually impressed at the archer's accuracy. Stunned surprise showed on every face in Eisenhoff's group. They froze for a crucial heartbeat, which allowed the archers to launch another volley before they scattered. Only three were struck this time, though it was not because of poor marksmanship. Two separate arrows flew toward the mage. Both rebounded before striking him, as though they had struck a solid object. A third of Eisenhoff's force was down or wounded. The rest darted for cover haphazardly. For a moment, Julian thought Lyttelton might have an easy victory. That hope was short-lived. Eisenhoff shouted, Open it up! And the mage, the man had not moved a muscle despite the chaos around him, chanted a series of strange words at the top of his lungs and cast an object that he was holding toward the barricade. Julian could not make out what it was, but when it struck the overturned carriage, a tremendous sound, like a clap of thunder, rang out and the carriage launched backward as though kicked by a giant. It actually rose into the air for a time before falling onto the street and shattering about thirty feet behind the barricade. Julian was stunned, as much by the noise as by the display of power. He had seen mages work their art before, on the front lines, but never from this close. It was impressive. The others on the Lyttelton side were apparently just as stunned as he, because no further arrows were launched for several seconds, allowing the brigands to surge forward toward the gap in the barricade. Four men with spears led the charge, riding two by two through the gap. The two men in front threw their spears as they rode through, forcing the two bowmen on the barricade to duck to avoid being skewered. Then they were through, and there was no one to stop them from riding straight on to the center of town. Except Melanie. She stood in the center of the street, her face the picture of calm, and regarded them with the contempt she would show a bug in her teeth. The brigands in the lead grinned viciously and drew their swords, then spurred their horses forward. In spite of his knowledge of her abilities, Julian felt a surge of panicked protectiveness. He hopped down from the barricade platform and drew his sword from his baldric. But even as he charged, he knew he would not make it in time to help her. He needn't have bothered. Melanie tossed her head, sending her hair flailing around dramatically and chanted three words while pushing toward the charging horseman with outstretched hands. Something in her hands flashed into flame, but for a heartbeat that was all that happened. Julian thought sure whatever she had tried failed, and she was about to be ridden down. Then, abruptly, the four horses screamed and reared, throwing off their riders, 
then fell to the ground themselves. The men hit the ground and screamed as well. Man and beast alike writhed in agony as bit, bridle, horseshoes, swords, breastplates, helms, belt buckles, everything made of metal, began to glow as though just removed from the forge. Flesh, clothing, and hair began to burn where it touched the white-hot metal pieces, and the air began to fill with the sickening smell of burning flesh. Within seconds, the charging quartet and their mounts were fully ablaze. Two more brigands, who had followed the first quartet through the gap, pulled up short of their burning comrades, stunned horror on their faces. Arrows from the hidden archers slammed home, knocking them both from their saddles. Reminding himself never to make Melanie truly angry, Julian turned away from the still-screaming bonfire and hurried toward the gap in the barricade. More men would be coming through, and he needed to stop them. Radric and Salam were already in the gap, each bracing a spear against the paving stones of the street. They no doubt retrieved the spears from where the brigands had thrown and missed. Another two horsemen tried to make it through, but were brought up short as the horses impaled themselves on the spears. But throwing spears are not designed to hold up against the weight and momentum of a charging horse. The shafts cracked and then split completely, forcing Radric and Salam to dive aside to avoid being trampled. Julian heard Radric cry out in pain, but he could not see what happened to him in the tussle of arms, legs, and bodies as the horses fell forward, sending their riders sprawling. Julian rushed forward, cutting one of the fallen brigands down before he could extricate himself. The other was more nimble and met Julian with an attack of his own. Julian retreated, knocking the brigand's sword away as he gave himself more room to maneuver. A sudden concussion from above drew his attention. The archery platform on the right side of the street blew apart. The men stationed there fell, grasping desperately at the shingles of the roof where the platform rested as they tried to slow or arrest their descent. One succeeded. Julian thought it was Hiram. But he did not have time to find out for sure as his foe rushed forward, thrusting the tip of his sword toward Julian's gut. A sloppy attack. Even the fishing men, novices to the blade as they were, would not have tried it. But Julian supposed the brigand counted on his being distracted by the events on the roof to make it successful. Unfortunately for him, Julian sidestepped the thrust with ease and brought his blade down onto the back of the hapless man's neck. As the brigand's head went bouncing down the street, Julian thought he saw his last expression, a look of almost comic surprise. Chapter 26 Melee Melanie noted with satisfaction Julian's expression shocked and intimidated, as he turned away from her and rejoined the fray. He was charming enough, and certainly nice to look at, but it never hurt to keep a man off balance. Besides, he, and Radric as well for that matter, seemed to forget sometimes that she was no delicate flower that needed protection. Julian disappeared into the fray, and Melanie turned her attention elsewhere. The gap in the barricade was temporarily stopped by the corpses of a couple horses. Some of Farzel's men were climbing over on foot, though. Salam stood alone, sword in hand, to meet them. He could handle himself from what she had been told. The two archers on the barricade were having a rougher time of it. Three arrows flew over the wall for every pair they sent over. In retrospect, they probably should have stationed those two in the platforms. The concussion of the right side platform's destruction drew her attention. She had been a bit surprised the other mage had not taken a greater hand in things yet, but apparently that was done. If he had seen through that platform's concealment, he would likely find the second one also. Unless she could defend that platform, their biggest advantage in this fight would be gone. Drawing a deep breath, she opened her book. She had tabbed several pages for quick reference. The third one dealt with incantations to repel hostile spells. She was familiar with them and had practiced them many times over the last week, but it was vital to be precise. 
so she took a few seconds to glance through the text. It never hurt to check her memory one last time. Satisfied, she pulled the necessary components from one of the pockets in her cloak and began the chant of protection. Silently, she prayed that she would not mess it up. The first of the thieves climbed over the dead horses. Salam moved back a step to allow the man proper footing and give him a chance to ready himself. Honor dictated no less, and while these men may have tossed honor to the wind, Salam was not willing to debase himself that way. Incomprehensibly, the thief looked surprised at Salam's gesture. How could a man fall so far as to not even realize what the dictates of propriety were? Grinning in what Salam presumed the thief intended to be an intimidating manner, he whipped his sword, a cheap-looking thing with too wide a blade to be practical, around in the air a few times. The fool should have just come for him instead of revealing how inept he was. He could not even flourish his blade properly. Their encounter was over before the thief made his move. Salam could have taken him in his sleep. He had already shifted his focus to the next two coming across the horses when the thief made his completely predictable attempt at an attack and wound up skewering himself on Salam's sword instead. Salam stepped forward and heard the thief stagger to his knees behind him, then fall over completely. The two approaching thieves saw their allies' death and paused in their advance. They looked to each other for a moment, then, reassured in each other's presence, moved towards Salam. They need not have been reassured. From the way they walked, their skills were no more impressive than their fellow. All the same, the two of them together were not to be dismissed as easily. Salam stepped back again, out of politeness, and awaited their approach. Beads of sweat butted on Melanie's brow and ran down her face. The strain of maintaining her concentration on the protective spell was getting worse. The other mage was strong. Very strong. She was not sure how much longer she could keep his attacks at bay. Another attack came, stronger than the last several had been, and she staggered backwards. She almost lost her footing and her concentration. Ahead of her, she noticed Salam squaring off against two of the brigands. Where were Julian and Raedric? She had not seen them in some time. For that matter, the two archers from the barricade were gone as well. A chill went down her spine, and she had to suppress a surge of panic. Was it just down to her and Salam and the three men she was struggling to protect up on the platform? The first of the pair of thieves fell beneath Salam's sword. He never stopped moving, dancing beneath the other's too high cut and ending him as well with an upward slice of his blade. Salam spun back to face the gap in the barricade before the second thief hit the ground. The area within the barricade was clear, for now. Salam! The voice came from ahead, near the gap. Salam frowned and moved ahead cautiously. There, behind one of the dead horses, a hand was waving. Sprinting forward, low to make a poor target for an arrow or thrown spear, he reached the barricade and looked down, and saw Raedric lying beside him, his legs pinned beneath a horse. He managed to grin. Took you long enough. Are you hurt? Not badly, yet. Salam grabbed Raedric by the armpits and pulled him free. It was easier than he expected, making him surprised that Raedric had not been able to free himself. But the angle was awkward. It would be far more difficult for him alone. Raedric had just regained his feet when a great concussion from overhead announced the destruction of the second archery platform. Julian parried an overhead blow from his foe and countered with a kick to the man's groin. His eyes bulged as Julian's foot made contact and he staggered backward. To his credit, he remained upright and kept his hands on the hilt of his sword instead of grasping it himself. But he was slow to react as Julian followed up the kick with his sword and he fell in a heap at Julian's feet. Four more of his comrades, and Eisenhoff himself, were drawing nearer. This was definitely not one of Julian's smartest moves ever. 
He had felled his opponent and rushed to the barricade, ignoring the ache in his thigh which grew stronger with every passing moment. The wound had not yet fully healed, but sometimes you don't get to choose when you fight, so he had gritted his teeth and continued. At the barricade, he met up with Willem and Gregor, the two archers. They were pinned down, but they saw one of their own, Tommy, who had fallen from the right-hand platform. Tommy had landed outside the barricade, but he was alive. For the moment. The brigands had not paid him any mind, but that could not last forever. So naturally, Julian came up with the idea to hop over the barricade with those two and rescue Tommy. Like he thought as the five brigands approached, murder in their eyes, not his smartest move. Willem had an arrow through his upper arm and could not shoot. Gregor was as yet unharmed, but encumbered as he was dragging Tommy away. There was no way he could help. It was up to Julian alone, with support from the last archers in the platform, to hold the five off long enough for them to get Tommy to safety. Wonderful. Then the other platform blew up, and whatever small hope Julian had blew up with it. Get him out of here, he shouted, and backpedaled as quickly as he could. The first of Eisenhoff's men got within sword length and attacked, but Julian avoided the cut easily. Then the second arrived, and he had to throw himself to the side to avoid being run through. Rolling to his feet, Julian spun around in time to catch another cut, from the first man again, with the flat of his blade. He pulled back again, dragging his blade down into the side along the brigands. He smiled as he felt the slight tug on his weapon, caused by the tip of his sword cutting the brigand's right forearm. The smile was short-lived, though, as the second and third men reached him again, flanking him on either side. No way to avoid this one. He gritted his teeth and prepared for the pain he knew was coming, and was amazed when the brigand on his right stiffened and a sword tip exited the front of his chest. Radric's face appeared behind the man's shoulder. He winked at Julian and quipped, Don't say I never did anything for you. Then withdrew his saber, and the man collapsed. Needing no encouragement, Julian spun to his left and engaged the brigand standing there. His face, triumphal just a second before, now was a mask of dread as he fended off Julian's first cut. He countered, but Julian continued forward, not even bothering to block as he stepped within the circle of the brigand's swing. The hilt of his sword struck Julian's shoulder painfully, but more painful still was the stab wound that Julian's sword made as it entered the brigand's belly where the ribs met. The man coughed, spasmed, and slumped over, falling to the ground as he slowly slid off Julian's blade. And the battle continues. As you might have guessed from the way these couple chapters went and how this last one ended, uh, this little skirmish is going to take a while. Of course, big confrontation with the big baddies. So yeah, it's going to continue on for the uh, next little bit here. Um, not ups and downs in this one. Hopefully you liked it. If you like, if you did, come back for more next week. Or you can come back for more right now by going and buying the book, either in print or ebook or audiobook. You can get it anywhere ebooks are sold, anywhere audio books are sold, anywhere print books are sold. But the best way to go is through my website, ssnstorytelling.com. I make the most profit that way. If you don't want to do that, that's cool. I like you anyway. As long as you subscribe to the channel and tell your friends and spread the word and come back next week and listen to more and, and uh, tell me I'm awesome. Yeah, or at least that, you know, don't suck too bad. Um, all right, that's all I got for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please come by the website, michaelkingswood.com, and drop me a line through the contact page there. Of course, you can leave a comment on the video or the podcast, depending on which one you're listening to, and 
people are starting to in greater numbers. So greater numbers being one or two an episode as opposed to one, like, never. So, hey, life is good. Uh, for some reason, speaking of life being good, for some reason got a huge bump up in podcast downloads about a week and a half ago. No idea why, but uh, hey, I'm liking it. I hope you are too. Um, yeah, so that's really all I got. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week. And uh, until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>